Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. My name is Sykes and this is my podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out last week's episode. If you're one of the people who listened to that conversation, I hope you enjoyed it and thanks so much for coming back. But for those of you out there who are new to the show, welcome. Please feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. I don't even have a beer or a soda right now. I'm such a poser. First and foremost, happy holidays, everybody. Hope things are good with your friends and your family. Even if you're a a silly Scrooge or a a grumpy little Grinch. I hope, you know, you have found something this season to uh, make your heart parts grow a little bit. Or whatever it is that you need to feel some cheer in you. Uh, you know, we're heading into a new year. It's going to be 2019. Pretty crazy. Uh, you know, a lot of people like to make resolutions for New Year's. I've never been much of a resolution person myself. The closest thing to a resolution I think I am making for 2019 is that me and Stacy, my girlfriend, for those of you that aren't familiar, we're saving up to go to Disney World for our birthdays in October. So it's not really so much of a resolution as it is a plan. But uh, yeah, I'm not much for resolutions. I, I am a lot more of a, if I want to do something, let's kind of start it now. I think you should always want to better yourself, no matter the time of the year, whether it's the middle of the year, the end of the year, or the beginning. You should always want what's best for you and the people around you. That's kind of preachy, but hopefully positive. Maybe some of you needed to hear that. There's a lot of positivity that I think is lacking in conversation these days. And uh, at least in some of my social circles, and sometimes I just say something nice to somebody and they're like, thank you. I really needed to hear that. And I'm like, I didn't even say anything all that crazy. I was just nice to you. So it's kind of wild to me that just being nice to somebody <laughs> in a genuine way cannot really can help some people. I think people need it. Be nice to the people around you. Happy holidays. Moving on. What's coming up around the corner for me and my projects? We got a couple Greywalker shows. Greywalker will be playing January 5th in Clareton, PA at the, the Valley Hotel. We're playing with a few bands. I got the list here. We're playing with Oceans to Ash, Prime 8, and Burned. It's a 9 p.m. Doors. It's a free show. We have never played with any of those bands, so it's going to be cool to meet some new people and play with some bands and hopefully have a great time. We'll also be playing in Pittsburgh the week after that show. January 12th, we're playing at the new Black Forge Coffee House over in McKee's Rocks. That's going to be with Winter's Descent, Whorehound, and Arch Rivals, which are another three bands that we have never played a show with. So it's going to be really cool to play with some new bands, meet some new people and, you know, spread the shred buddy. Mm -hmm. The day before that January 12th show, there's another event happening on the 11th. It's going to be a bubble pop dance party. For those of you that aren't familiar, this is a thing that I do with my friends, Kate and Stephanie They actually, this is actually their thing. They just kind of let me DJ with them, but it's an international pop night and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's probably the complete opposite 
of a gray Walker show, but, uh, it's a good time. So if that's more your thing, if metal isn't your thing, but you're into international pop or new wave or disco or just dance music in general, come on out. That's going to be at spirit on January 11th, 10 PM. And that's also a free show. Um, I should mention too, that the gray Walker show happening the day after that at black Forge is not a free show. That is a $10 cover and doors for that are at 7 PM. Yeah. So another thing coming up in April of 2019 is going to be the five year anniversary of this show. Yes. Start the beat with Sykes turning five years old, which is kind of wild. I don't, it doesn't feel like I've been doing this podcast for five years. Uh, I think the show has grown a good bit. I really like the, the way it's evolved, just reflecting on a personal note. And I'm excited for some things that I'm planning on doing in the new year, even outside of the anniversary. I will be doing a five year anniversary show in April. More details to be announced once, once we get closer. It's a little early to be talking about that right now, but I am already working on the event. And, uh, yeah, even after five years, there's still plenty of room for improvement and I'm working on those things without a new year's resolution. I'm just doing it. Yeah. Uh, and, Hey, you know, thanks for being along for the ride. I've been producing this show myself since day one. And what I mean by that is I, you know, I book the episodes. I handle all the correspondence with the guests. I engineer all the episodes. So, you know, I set up everything, all the microphones. I record everything. I edit everything. I shoot all the video myself. I edit all of that. I upload everything online. I type out the descriptions. I schedule the posts. I'm not trying to like sound very uh, masturbatory right now, but a lot of it is it's I'm just explaining this because it's a lot of time and a lot of effort and I've been doing it so long because I love doing it. I do have a passion for this project. That's why it's still going five years later. Uh, but one thing I'm thinking now with stepping into the five year mark, I do think that, you know, maybe I deserve some help. I don't know how I'm going to get that help, but it's just something I'm thinking about. You know, why not make an effort to try to reach out to some people and see if anybody would be interested in helping? Uh, so if you are interested in helping me with anything revolving this show, reach out. Let me know. It could literally be anything. If you have an idea, just shoot me a message. Uh, I could really use the help, to be completely honest. Uh, I've been thinking about maybe reaching out to try to get some sponsors. That's not really anything I'm particularly interested in doing. And I also don't know if I have like a big enough fan base or listener base to really justify any businesses giving me money to help promote their product. Another thing I was considering, I know Patreon is a thing. There's a lot of people doing Patreon these days. I'm thinking about doing it. I don't know. Would you donate to my Patreon to help me keep the show alive? I mean, I do spend a lot of time and a lot of money to keep it afloat. I don't know if you know this, but websites aren't free and hosting the stuff online isn't free. There's money that comes out of my pocket every month for this. I don't make a dime off the fucking podcast. Not saying that I need to, but hey. It would be cool to maybe, you know, at least have it sustain itself. So I'm thinking, trying to think of some options. If you would donate to a Patreon or if you would be a sponsor 
to my podcast, regardless of my impressive streaming numbers, reach out. Let me know, please. I need help and I'll know who to ask. Uh. <laughs> Moving into 2019 again, theme of this segment. I want to do more to promote local music than just having guests on the show. So, for example, right now, you could be hearing a song underneath this. And it could be a song from a local artist. And I could be telling you, hey, this song that you've been listening to the past few minutes that's been really tight is this band. And you should go check them out. I'm trying to do some stuff like that. I just need people to send me fucking music. So... You know how to get a hold of me if you're listening to this. If you want your band played on the show, send me some fucking tracks and maybe I'll play it. But if I don't play it, you know, don't take it the wrong way. It's just that you're not the only fucking person on the planet. But I'm trying to do what I can to get as much local music into the show without completely derailing everything. Speaking of derailing, let's get this conversation back on track. That was so fucking corny. (laughs) The other initiative I'm trying to take off with in uh, 2019 is helping promote some other podcasts. There's a lot of cool shows in the city. I try to do what I can to collaborate with some of those creators and promote their shows, but it can be complicated because I'm just focused on my thing. They're focused on their thing, but I'm going to be doing some ad swaps with some other shows and try to get you turned on to some things that I support. And I think if you're a fan of my show, you'd probably be a fan of these shows. So I'm going to start that this week with the thrifty podcast, which, Hey, you know what? I'll just let them explain what their podcast is for themselves. Here we go. Hey, new friends. I'm Toddy Tondera, host of thrifty podcast. I scour secondhand stores, searching for interesting artifacts, useful unusuals, trendy trinkets, cool collectibles, and good garbage. Each week, I take a guest secondhand shopping with me. After we gather a juicy, juicy thrift haul, we record an episode based on our findings. You could find the show at thriftypodcast.com and subscribe and stream wherever it is you download your podcast from. I'm sentimentally attached to things you have forgotten. It's time for you to join the Roach Army and get thrifty. And that's thrifty. It's a really fun show. Uh, if you've been listening to the podcast, Start the Beat, for a while, you've probably heard on multiple occasions guests coming in and talking about the Ninja Turtle figures and all the records and things that are in this room that you typically don't see on camera. So I definitely have a background uh, in my life outside of my podcast that is very relatable to what they're doing on the Thrifty Show. And uh, I enjoy it a lot. It's a it's a fun listen. Check it out. Highly support it. And hopefully we'll be doing more collaborations with them and some other podcasts in the new year. Already working on it. Already working on it, buddy. I'm working on it. Yes. So I think I've made you all suffer enough talking about myself and my plans for the future. We're going to get into this week's fucking episode. And this week's episode is actually going to be a part one of two. This was a very, very awesome but long conversation that I had. Sid is an ex-professional musician, 
from LA who is living in Pittsburgh now. He's been here for a few years and he's a really cool dude. He has a ton of background in the rock music world, playing in bands, producing bands. And now he's super focused on developing young talent in new bands and just trying to help steer bands in the right direction of whatever their particular direction is because what's right for one band may not be right for another band. And that's some of the stuff that we get into. Me and Sid just fucking, we, we, we talked for a very long time. Uh, and it's, I think you're going to enjoy it. But yeah, so this, what I'm uploading today is part one of two. I think without further ado, I'm just going to shut my mouth and we're going to get into the episode. And I'm going to bring back an oldie but a goodie right here, right now. Sit back, relax, and let's start the motherfucking beat! Today, I am sitting here with my friend, Sid Riggs. Hello, how are you? And you are a musician. Well, I guess, do you still consider yourself a musician or do you say ex-musician? I guess that's a weird question. I would say ex-professional musician. Okay. Of course, you're always a musician and you always play. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, was a, uh, I lived in LA for 25 years and I, while I was there, I, was, um, I earned my living in the music industry. I was a drummer in a lot of bands with record deals, and I did some songwriting, and then I eventually uh, landed in a position where I was just producing and engineering records, and 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 I basically retired in two thousand eight, and I use that phrase retired in air quotes because I still obviously make music, and I, and but now instead of working professionally. Um, for making records for labels or touring in bands. Um, I just, I, I'm really interested in developing bands. I got a recording studio at my place and, and I just love making records. How much fun is it to be able to make a record slow, to slow down the process and just make a kick-ass record and yeah. try ideas and then, and just work with younger bands who are really passionate about what they're doing uh, versus, you know, sometimes when I was making records, you know, getting paid for by a label to make records, there was there were times when I was in a room going, oh my god, I just want to punch these guys. Fuck these dudes. Totally. Like if you weren't paying me, I would fucking headbutt you. <laughs> but but now having the ability to say, you know what, cool, you, you guys are really cool. I fucking love where your head is at. I totally want to. Let's make a record. Let's let's do some songs and let's just see where this goes. And maybe I can help you guys get a record deal. I still have connections in L.A. Maybe we can do this. Let's just see what happens. Let's just let's make you a better version of you. Let's let's make you better band absolutely and you are living in pittsburgh now you've been here for since two june, or three years june of 2015 i came here in june of 2015 and you have a really cool space i've been to in your in your home yeah That's, it's pretty bonkers yeah it's a, it's an awesome space and uh yeah we're here today to just i don't know i guess chat about the current state of music trying to figure out things we don't really know what's going on since we're both outsiders in some way to like the big picture of whatever the music industry is, but I think everybody's an outsider right now. Yeah. And, and everybody I know who's in the industry really is on the outside looking like, you know, 
looking around going, do, do you know what the heck is going on now? Do you like, well, that seems to be working a little bit like that kind of stuff. And I'm not talking about genres, just like the industry, like the industry seems to be looking like it's moving a little bit that way. We can might be able to figure out and then, oh, maybe it seems like it's going over here. Maybe there, there's a way to monetize this. Maybe, maybe bands need to market this way. Maybe we need to re release music this way. There's so many it's, insane it's, variables. You yeah. Know? Like w when I was in bands with record deals, I, I was in four bands with record deals. I was in a band called Johnny Crash briefly that was on CBS. I was in a band called Kidney Thieves that was on BMG briefly. But mainly I was in a band with Rob Halford called Two. Yeah. And it was John Five was the guitar player and James Woolley from Nine Inch Nails and Ray Riando from Machines of Love and Grace. And I was the drummer and Halford was the singer. And that band was on Nothing Records, which is Trent Reznor's label as part of Interscope. So it was, you know, the major label, Interscope Records. It was, you know, and the way you did things was the way you did things. It was like, it was, oh, this is how you make a record. This is how you release it. It was all laid out for you. Totally. And then after that, I was in a band called Sinistar that was on Geffen Records. Same thing. Like, you make a record, you hire a producer, you make a record, it goes to the label. They make a release day to play, you know, boom, you make a video, it goes on MTV, you go out on tour. It's like, there was just a way to do it. Uh -huh. And then... And then now, like, how does anybody do anything? <laughs> it's, it's just like madness out there. Uh -huh. I have so, no fucking idea. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that I don't have to figure out, like, I'm like my, like, not in the middle of that vortex, trying to figure out how you make this crazy thing work. Well, I think, uh, you know, foreshadowing our already recorded conversation. I think some of it is, you know, just writing really fucking good songs, and then the other half of it too. I think is just being really fucking good at talking to people. <laughs> well, but I, I don't think, know how much different that is than it's ever been. Well, I think I'm going to I'm going to lean on your first idea of writing good songs cuz no matter what, no matter what genre you're in, no matter you know what it is, if you don't have a good song, whatever your genre is, like you know a good Slayer song is different than a good Johnny Cash song is good different than a good Shakira song. Sure. A good song is a good song depending on what your band is. If you don't have good songs, nobody cares about anything else it's like, that uh, you do. It's like Pittsburgh restaurants. You can have the fanciest light bulbs, but if your food sucks, nobody's going to give a shit. <laughs> totally. Really, in the end of the day, it, it's <laughs> if, if the thing that you suppose, you're supposed to do, if it's not crushing people, then it's not going to work. And for bands... I mean, I lean on this. So many times young bands think that everything is about the live show. They got to go out and play live. We got to play live. We got to play live. And, and there's a place for that for sure. You, you can't go out and play live and be crappy and have, have anybody care. But, you, but long before you go out and play live, you got to have good songs to go out and play live to people. And, and ultimately, if you're going to have a record and it's going to be sitting someplace on Spotify or on Pandora, on Apple Music, or in a record store. You want to be a representation People are going to want, it's got to, people, you, yeah. and people want to listen to it. It's got to be a song that people, especially if it's streaming, just through some computers on your screen and you're not looking at a picture or of some, some graphics, if that song isn't good enough to have people give a fuck. They'll click next. Then they're going to hit the next button. So really, no matter what, it can't, you got to have good songs. It's probably even more relevant now than it's ever been. I never thought, I didn't think about that, but given, how easy it is for people to go next. Yeah. Now, it's not like where in uh in which we get into this, but uh being at the CD store and picking up something or an album being like, oh, this looks cool. I'm gonna get this. So it's like, well, you're stuck with those 10, 12, 15 tracks. That's it. You until know? you buy another one. Until and you buy another one. And you gotta go like mow some more lawns and get some more money to go buy another record. Totally. It's now it's next. 
there's like no consequence. Yeah, and and in the and even like in the old days, I mean, the old days, seventies, eighties, old days. <laughs> yeah. um, like there was the radio and there was MTV. You couldn't next MTV and you couldn't next the radio. You could change radio station, but it was you had about three at any given time in life. You had about three choices of songs you could listen to that were coming out of speakers. Oh yeah, there was there was the one maybe four choices. The one you chose to put on a record player, or the radio station one, radio station two, or radio station three. That was it. I mean, that's it. If you lived in like a major metropolitan area, yeah. if you were in like a smaller area, I mean, maybe you only have one radio yeah. station and your record player. And so, or that one part in the house where you could maybe put the radio and you might be able to pick up. <laughs> Like the little like half re- half reception of it's the like, one station, yeah, and it's kind of the song and a little bit of static, uh huh, yeah. And if somebody walks by at like another doorway and blocks it, <laughs> like it kind of goes away for like, mom, yeah. you're right in the you're you're effing up the signal, uh huh. Gotta move. Well, I, I, it's, oh man, can you imagine if mom walks past when you're in the middle of trying to dub it to a cassette tape? Uh, yeah, um, <sighs> I spent so much time trying to make my own. CDs off of yeah or not CDs tapes back in the day off the radio and it was it was just a it was a it was a tough task but I did that's what you did you didn't you didn't know how tough it was because that was the only thing you knew and then it got a little easier with different technologies and now now for for all of the all of the angst that streaming music gives bands that are trying to monetize their music. It's also amazing that you can listen to anything at any given time. Because I know when I was young, they didn't have a lot of money. So like, if I was going to go buy a record, which is the only way you get to listen to anything other than the radio, you I had to work, save some money up, go to the record store, buy a record, and hope to God that this record didn't suck. Yeah, because I'm not going to get to buy another record for two more weeks. You know, when I you know when I get some money again. Uh-huh. And if I'd play it, it'd be like, oh, hooray, this is great. Or fuck, this is not really, it's not that great. But that didn't mean I wouldn't listen to it. I would still listen to it because it was better than the four, you know, two other songs on the radio, whatever. Yeah. I would still listen and I would give it the fairest shot I could. Come on, man, I'm trying to like this. Click with me. But sometimes, nah, it's not there. Yeah. And then I'd have to wait two more weeks and go buy another record. So you were really, I was picky and choosing on what I would buy. Uh-huh. Now though, and oh, and I think my point there was so that um, and because of that, I didn't hear a lot of music that didn't land in my lap from like, I'm going to my buddy's house and he's playing me something. Like if it didn't land in my lap, th- there was probably a ton of bands that I never got oh, to yeah. hear. I just never got to hear. Maybe I knew their name, but I'd never heard them because I didn't have money to go buy a record. But now I'm, I'm, I'm literally now at, you know, at my age finding bands like oh shit these guys were around i remember these guys when i was in high school yeah like they're totally cool fuck i completely missed those guys son of a bitch uh-huh. and now i can just hear anything and i love that and i think it's really cool but it's crushing bands trying to make any money selling music I mean, they can still you know you can play a live gig and you can make cool merch and stuff but it is a tough it's a it's a it's a definitely a crazy scene yeah i think it's really important for Bands to just be aware of the resources that they have and try not to, I don't know, just, I don't, I don't want to tell people to not like chase the dream. Like if you're like super underground, just starting out, but also like, don't like completely waste all your resources just to 
uh, like go on the road for the sake of going on the road. Cause I feel like if you, if you're not able to like sustain it financially, there's really no point cause it's just going to crumble. The, the, the only thing that I would recommend, the, uh, the only pushback, slight pushback to that is that the only way to get good on the road is to go on the road. Totally, totally. And so like, um, you, the only way to get good playing live is to go play live. I think what I'm saying is like, don't, I would, I would suggest to not, I wouldn't say to just not go. I would say just be more mindful of what you're able to do at the current time and work within that. And then kind of like, it's almost like how we get into talking about recording albums and how instead of like trying to record it all in, you know, a week or something, you should take that extra time to really make it work. It's kind of like the same process maybe when it comes to starting to expand and get out of town instead of like, well, I'm going to book a fucking two week tour right off the bat. Like, but not being financially ready to do that. Like that's the type of thing that could completely crush a potentially great band because, Oh fuck. Everybody comes back like a grand or two grand in debt and they can't afford to be in the band anymore. It ruins the fucking band versus like, well, we know that we can realistically do four or five days. So even though we want to do more and it's not much, it's let's do this now and then just slowly build it out. Well, I think another thing there too is, yes, going out and touring on the road. But if I think if you can have a robust scene in your backyard, then, uh, you know, then your backyard is literally, you know, it's the next best thing to touring because you're going to be playing a lot. Like when I was, when I was younger and I first moved to LA, my band was a club band. We played at, you know, the Whiskey and Troubadour and Gazaris, you know, and that was like a tour. Like you'd play at the whiskey, and then a month later you'd play at the Troubadour, and then a month later you'd play at the uh, Gazaris, and then you'd play at the Roxy, and then you'd play at the Country Club, and then you'd go back to the whiskey, um, and like th- that was what it felt like. But you 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 wouldn't you couldn't play them all the time because then you, people you know wouldn't come out to see you. The thing that I think that a lot of people uh, maybe overlook, and I don't think about it all the time, uh, is like even if you are only playing locally. If you have people at that show that might take a video and post it online, they're sharing it yeah. to their their small demographic of people that could be all over the place. So like you're still getting exposure in different pockets. I think you know, and that just once you said that, it just dawned on me like dunk light bulb. Of course, like duh, but. I, I would think that young bands now, w- one of the things you want to do is figure out, even if you're playing little clubs, figure out a way to video it, even if it's with GoPro cameras, whatever it takes. Oh, oh Get yeah. video footage of everything you do and, and learn how to edit video, even rudimentarily, and, you know, and, and get it online and get people sharing that. The one thing that I've found that has been really beneficial for gray walker and just any projects but particularly with gray walker is just like being having evidence consistent evidence online that we are a real band yeah that you exist like we we played a gig we are people and we play shows and like even just like posting like silly little videos like hey this is our personality like we are these guys here we are look at us we're actually playing things this is us in the studio we're doing these are things we're doing it for real and we are real people and you can access us on a real level mm-hmm. versus acting like we're a lot bigger than we are or just not doing anything like, you know, just like not taking that initiative. Like we're like, I bring cameras to shows and I set them up and set up like a room recorder and like, Oh, edit stuff. And like, here's a clip from us last night, you know, in grand rapids or whatever. Check it out. Yeah. I think that's super important. If for, 
because so much more today, bands are their own PR machines. You know, you can pony up a bunch of money and hire some music-related PR company, and it'll help you do it. But most bands don't have that kind of money, so you got to handle it yourself. But like the punk rock bands in the eighties, you know, making fanzines and do, everything was just crazy DIY, and somehow, without the internet, they created nationwide nationwide networks that they could go play to without the internet. Yeah. Just di- handling everything themselves and just, and r- just rallying every resource they could and putting it together and making it happen. And so I think now, God, bands have the internet. God, you have social media. You have, you have basically the same platform as Lamb of God and Taylor Swift, you've got the same page. Yeah. You just got to get people to come over there. Yeah. You got you need the songs. Yeah. You, you need the songs <laughs> and you need to be a good band and you, you know, all of the above. But I think you're right. I think you do need to have the band. You need to have a presence and it needs to be active and people do, you know, because if someone likes you, they're going to like you as long as, as long as you keep giving them something to like. Mm-hmm. You know, there's because there's so much information that comes at us now today that you know, like, man, I really like that band, and then I don't see anything, or like, you know, maybe I'm not looking, but maybe something doesn't hit my feed, or whatever the case. Then you know, ten other things come in, and now I like those ten things, and and I still, oh, I would have really liked that other thing, but I totally forgot about it because I'm just getting barraged by everything, uh-huh. and and I know I'm like that. It's Every, easy. Everybody it's, is their own publicist now yeah. in some way you know whether here's a great song that i made or here's a great sandwich that i made it's <laughs> all all bets are off in terms of just people throwing things out everybody's a superstar now and and, and that's great and terrible all yeah. at the same time because because uh, i'm you know unfortunately a lot of people can't you know they don't know what a, a good sandwich is or a bad sandwich and some people don't know what a good song is or a bad song but now that I said that, I, I I I should take that back because a good song to Susie is a good song to Susie. Yeah, maybe one, I don't, one person's trash, right? Sure, totally. You know, <laughs> and if she likes it, she truly likes it. It really means something to her. It really means something to her. Same with Joey and Tommy and whoever. Their their songs that they like are the songs they like. Uh-huh. But um, no, no longer do we live in an era of the labels or the gatekeepers of the Velvet Rope. You know, so much as they used to be. You know where. You, know, you had to get past the velvet rope into the record company, and that was that was going to indicate that there was some degree some degree of talent there, and um, and you know you earned your spot there, and then you're gonna you're gonna get on the radio, and the radio the DJ is gonna say your name on the radio, and you're gonna get on MTV, and then there's you know however million people see you in one second on MTV, and uh, that doesn't you know yeah that's there's no MTV, I and mean, there's YouTube now, but whatever that looks like now, uh huh, that's just. It's YouTube's hard. That's that's uh, that's a a a dense environment. Yeah, there's a lot in, oh, on YouTube. Well, it's the internet. There's a lot on the internet. Yeah, but like I feel like yeah, YouTube is it's otherworldly. How hard it is to get anybody to pay attention to anything on YouTube. It's like that's the craziest nut to crack in terms of social media as far as i'm concerned oh i i agree but it's funny shit cracks though oh yeah like definitely like, I, I don't know what it was recently i don't know what i was looking at but 
you know, on the little sidebar, the next 10 videos we're going to play, there was something that caught my eye, something I didn't know what it was. And I don't know what I was, I was watching some kind of music videos, obviously, it was, it was populating with music stuff on the right. And I don't know what it was, but you know, it's like some crazy looking girl with horns and stuff coming out of her head. And it's this band from Europe called like Heilung or something. They're okay. like this like, like metal-y Viking music. And, and I clicked on it and then I'm like, this is actually super cool. I love this. But then I'm looking, it's like millions and millions of views. And then I read about them and they just, they like made, they, if I, I, I could be totally getting this wrong, but if I, if I read, if I remember what I read right is they put this band together, they, they secured a date at a festival in Europe and got a giant, like put a full film production crew together, filmed it, put it online, and the thing totally got legs. And there's like millions and millions of views. Yeah. Now they're touring, like for real touring, all over Europe and it, off YouTube. Have you uh, been uh, following that uh, Jared Threaten story? I, I, st- I just stuff? saw that last week for the first time. Yeah. And I, yeah. Oh man, what a that's that's, it's like the polar opposite. It's the opposite, yeah. Like he tried to do that, and I feel like his intentions were in the right place. Just like if I just set all this up, it might just work out in my favor. But but I mean, I, I listened to like I read the article wherever I saw that on you know whatever Loudwire or something. And didn't have the song. Yeah, and and then <laughs> there was a like I clicked the link to hear the song. I'm like, oh yeah, that's not a good song. <laughs> You know, at A for effort, and I, my heart goes out to that guy for putting it all out there, and he cares, and he's trying. But anytime I see one guy playing all the instruments, I'm like, oh, yikes. Well, that's like a really good example of that point where, you know, you have everything kind of looking good, but at its core – you get it's like you're in the restaurant and it's like oh the tables look great and yeah the, the staff's nice everything's like really cool and good and then like you know you get your food served to you like in a garbage can lid and it's just like well that goes back to the it? first thing we talked about songs like i clicked on that song if i would have clicked on that song and i would have went holy fuck this is fucking awesome what what the hell i would have i would have been like almost like that guy's advocate i'd be been Somehow I wouldn't emotionally give a fuck because that is sure. a fuck. But it wasn't. It wasn't a good song. And, you know, he put everything else in place. And kids can smell a BS meter. Music fans can smell BS from 100 miles away, especially in today's day and uh-huh. age. Like something reeks of fucking bullshit. People are like, that's BS. And, and I well, hate I BS more than ever now. People put themselves out there in general in a way that is unlike ever before um i mean I, a lot of it is probably like kind of fake a lot of people do uh curate the lives that they want to share with the world yeah they're but in- also at the same time as quick as somebody is to say like oh i'm having the best day ever they'll also take the time to say i'm having the worst day ever because they need that yeah, online need the- empathy right yeah so i think it's really transparency is kind of a lot more relevant now so i think in that it's really easy to sniff the bullshit out in some way and i think then maybe that once again and i hate to beat a dead horse here but so your content needs to be so good that it's undeniable you know if you're a band you gotta have fucking good songs there's gotta be a reason why people like you 
other than, you know, that's I, I tricked you into a story which will hook so, you for a couple of weeks, yeah, but ultimately there's no good music there. I feel, you know, there's kind of this part where you, it kind of feels silly to like, so, so like, I don't know if you saw, like, he also had like a kind of like a documentary oh. series where he was like talking about his recording process and things like that, it, which, I mean, you see artists do that. Like, it makes sense, right? But people want to see those videos when there's like a an artist that's really popular they might want to know what the process was yeah. but if nobody knows who you are you're like answering a question that nobody's asking uh, that's a good and point i was i was actually like in the process of thinking about like oh it'd be cool to like film some videos about you know the new sykes album talking about the album and recording process and stuff that i used and shit like that and the guy's like a little fan base but i like really thought about it and i was like Anybody that's going to care already knows. Yeah, they're already uh, been like, to my studio. This is just like a total ego stroke. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, it's, I think it's easy to like, kind of do those things when you're a young artist and you artists that you look up to do those things. So it's like, it makes sense. Like, you, oh, you have a video talking about this stuff. So I want one too. But overlooking the reason why they have that is because there's actually a demand for it. Yeah. I, I think that, the, I think. Depending on, once again, depending on what your intention is, you know, if you're intending to, you know, to be the next Michael Jackson, there's probably going to be a demand for that down the road. Yeah. So, you know, to put that together, but, you know, and, and hold it, hold it back to where like someday when somebody cares, you were there filming that and it was there, but you can only release it when people care. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy to think about like how much work somebody like that threatened dude did. Like, I mean, hours, like there's countless hours that went into everything, but writing the song. Except for writing the song. Like, and I listened to that production and I heard some, you know, just from a producer oh, yeah, engineer. Oh, drum samples were immaculate. Oh, that was rough. <laughs> it hurt my ears. That kick drum was just so powerful. It's like you could feel it in your chest. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I am pretty critical on production. I'm pretty critical on production and and bad pro tooling. Sure. Uh, and when I say bad pro tooling, I just mean heavy-handed pro tooling. Um, you know, everything, uh, so much of what I hear on the radio now really feels heavy-handed to me. And, and, and we've gotten away from bands sounding organic. And um, and it's, it's, you know, it's it just doesn't sound very good to me. Uh-huh. It just, like, it just sounds fake and crummy and then just blah. it was really interesting maybe you could have uh some insight on this because you were still working in the industry at the time lincoln park hybrid theory sure that debut album same management company um okay so i mean i fucking love that album when it came out it really blew my mind it was one of the albums that kind of um helped kind of mar- like marry this uh love that i had for like rap when I was growing mm-hmm. up, like, but like radio rap and like, I never had like an underground rap, but I was like, I always like thought it was kind of cool and they made it cool, but that's, we're sidetracking. The reason why I'm bringing up that album is because I remember at the time really liking that album and feeling attacked by like the metal magazines that I would read talking about how that album's like very, it was overproduced and things like that, which I, I mean, I think if you think about that album now, it almost sounds dated compared to yeah. what is modern production now. And it's really interesting that uh, even just in that short amount of time, like the 18 years or whatever since that came out, that uh, 
I mean, I guess 18 years ago. Is that I'm really that old? That was like 2001. Holy shit. Probably, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Fuck. But uh, that, you know, something that seemed so uh, overproduced now is like what they were doing on that album is like outdated techniques when it comes to oh, the stuff totally, that those yeah. same magazines yeah. are probably giving positive reviews to now. Yeah, I mean, two things come up for me there. And the metal magazines are saying it's overproduced and, you know, ultimately Billboard is saying people fucking love this, shut up. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's it's crushing it. And they're still around today, you know, uh, as a legacy artist that people will go see because they did music that, pe- music that people really liked and it connected with people. I know, gosh, I know a lot of people that I Good know. Good songs. They were like, oh, I had a such an amazing experience when I was younger at a Linkin Park concert. It really changed. And like, people really truly did have the, that band helped them have those experiences. And probably not for me, but I'm not going to take that experience away from somebody else. Yeah. And, and yeah. And at that time, I thought they were actually doing really cool work with Pro Tools. And I mean, I mean, they're just doing work with samplers. They're just tracking into Pro Tools. And yeah. <laughs> and, and, but, but I mean that that almost could have been tracked to tape, you know, by what the standard of how we think of a Pro Tooled record today versus that they could have done that record hybrid theory to, to tape. It wouldn't have been wouldn't have sounded much different if they're just good at what they do. Yeah. But now I mean now I'm listening to stuff. You know, all the guitars are chopped. You know, on, on the recorded DI, chop all the guitars, line them up. You got four, or eight guitars, and they're all just airtight together. And the drums are just quantized, and then all the samples are laid in. The only thing that you're hearing are the hi hat and sam- and the hi hat and crash cymbals and everything else is samples. And I just listen to it. and I go, God, that just sucks. That sounds so sucky. Yeah. You know, and and a good band can play and sound ninety percent that tight. And it just, but there's a energy and a fucking authenticity that comes out of a real band doing it good that just is, Pro Tools can never touch. And, you know, so, you know, when I hear a good band playing good, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, listen, that's killer. That's a fucking band. And sometimes when you listen to old records too, like older records, you go, dude, that was, you know, that was like 1980. That was way pre-Pro Tools. Listen to that fucking vocals, those harmonies. There was no auto-tune. That was real fucking singing, a real drummer playing that drum part, a real guitar player shredding. Just the other night, we we had a cocktail party. A cocktail party. We had drinks at my house. But every <laughs> every time we have drinks at my house, it always devolves to everybody down in my recording studio just cranking, like, play this next, play this next. And there's like 10 of us sure, down there. It sure. always devolves into yeah. that. And, and, and almost invariably, the thing that ends the night th- that you can't touch – you know, like you will know, we'll end up, you know, listening to like I don't know what did we listen to that night? A whole bunch of different stuff, you know, from modern, you know, current music to older music. But it always ends up on the Van Halen one record. Oh, dude! And you're like, listen Unreal, to that, dude. listen to that guitar player. That's one guitar, one bass. The guitar's on one side, the bass Unreal. is on the other side. The yeah. drums are in the middle. That's a single guitar track. Listen to him fucking going crazy. Yeah, crushing the it. The balls that that album has. Balls. Is that's fucking my- unreal. You said the right word there. I, and I, sometimes I, I, I talk about this thing to people and, and they give me deer in headlights and I can't imagine how. But I say, think about that record when it came out, what, was, what came ahead of it, and think about their second song on their debut record is a guitar solo. 
that that's crazy. <laughs> like they didn't come out of the gate with like their biggest hit and then a follow up song uh, they, for record. They said no. Our second track on our debut record is our guitar player saying "fuck you" to everybody and laying a fucking guitar solo down for track two on the debut record. And also, you got fucking David Lee Roth on the rest of that thing dominating. <laughs> just, just so it's cr- like, give me something here. <laughs> Everything is crushing on that record. It's so amazing. It's- Absolutely insane. Yeah. When I was a kid, I, I was 15 or four, I was 14 when that record came out. And I remember going to the record store and I bought Runaways, Queens of Noise, yeah. and Van Halen 1. And I thought to myself, and on the same day, I had them both in my hand. I'm thinking, I better listen to this Runaways record first or I may never get to it. Because I was holding this, this atom bomb in my right hand. Uh-huh. And so I did. I listened to the Queens of Noise record a few times. I'm like, okay, cool. Then I put on, you know, and I'd only heard, you really got me in Running With The Devil. That's all I'd ever heard. And I put that record on. I was like, what the fuck that just... My head was exploding. I was a kid. I was 14. Totally. My head was blowing up. Yeah. Yeah. So real performances. Back to the point. Pro Tools, sterile, lame, I, trickery. Dude, I think like in one of the best sounding albums I've heard, uh, at least that maybe came out of that like the early new metal era was Rage Against the Machine, Evil Empire. Mm-hmm. That album is the same deal where you have bass on one side, guitar on one side, drums and vocals in the middle. There's like there's no production. Good sounds tones. so thick. Like the album sounds huge. Yeah, it's probably uh, it's probably the best sounding record that I own. Like, hey, if I put that record, it sounds better than anything else. And it's just like, so they didn't overdo it. You know, it's just, it has everything that you need. You put it on, crank it up. You feel like those motherfuckers are in the room. Yeah, that's playing, a- and it's just like, what else do you need? Did you see the Sound City documentary? Mm-mm. Um, that that's where they tracked the first Rage Against the Machine record at Sound City in LA. But they were talking about it. The guys were talking about making that record in Sound City and they said they just wanted it to sound like a live record. They brought their friends. Everybody was like in the in the live room with the band tracking and they just played it live with their friends in the room and they just tracked it live. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, because they just wanted it to feel like they were playing with their... And I thought, man, that is a really cool idea. Yeah. No, I think that a downside with uh, technologies, uh, Pro Tools, all these plugins and visualizers and seeing <laughs> things that don't line up right. Like yeah. you get in the rabbit hole of you what... You start making music with your is, eyes and not your ears. What is technically right, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, like, you know, we can't put the guitar cab in the room with the drums or we're going to get the bleed on the snare mic and blah, blah, blah. I think if... For some, for some circumstances, obviously, you might not want that. But yeah. I think... In some situations, you should definitely entertain the idea. Otherwise, you won't get an album that sounds like a Rage Against the Machine album. Yeah, it's, I mean, you can put baffles around amps and you're going to get a little bit of bleed, but it's not going to crush it. If it's the same performance, if 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 all of your tracks are from the same performance, the same take, yeah, it's not going to be a problem. I mean, sure, you, you, you know, as an engineer and a mixer, you might want there to be more separation just because it makes your job easier. Yeah. But from a performance and vibe standpoint, an amazing performance is an amazing performance and there's bands that you see them play live and you're like this is fucking fantastic and you listen to their albums and it's just like this didn't yeah sounds like you took that live set and just scrubbed it down with a fucking brillo pad like it's all that's so disappointing when that happens gosh that's really rough that's that that sucks that was like the one thing that stood out to me about uh evanescence when evanescence was a thing Mm -hmm. um i remember 
they had their their big radio hit and yeah I'm like, this is fine i went and i saw them live with like my like high school girlfriend at the time or whatever and i couldn't believe how heavy they were live like everything it was like it was like just unrestrained like no polish just like holy fuck and like amy lee singing her fucking ass off like great live performance really like changed the way i felt about the band mm -hmm. but yeah the album's just very much like you know i think that the album did what it needed to do to put them on a platform to put themselves in a position where i would have my high school girlfriend dragging me to go see them play you know mission what I mean? accomplished yeah so i think that it was it worked out but i would i was always hoping that like down the line whenever they put out more music i was like man i hope they like record something heavier but then like you know the whole fucking that band just fell apart yeah time. that's unfortunate i had an, an opportunity to work with her and on a seether track uh, me and my partner bob we did the song broken that was yeah. on the punisher soundtrack so i was the engineer and the mix engineer on that record but it was fun we got to work with her she was super nice and great singer it was super cool and that song did great on the radio it was yeah. giant it was super fun that was that was one of those experiences too, like we where we talked about earlier, uh, <laughs> where we, you know, we camped out. We were camped out in the studio to do one song. We were in the studio for, um, I think we were in the studio for like eight days. That's crazy. Just yeah. really, just fine tuning it, huh? But it really, it, yes, we were there for eight days, but most of it was sitting around, just sitting. We were basically done. We were sitting. Did they have to like? Was it like writing? And they have. They have the it was all written. done. They already had. Seether already had that song broken, and they put it on their first record, and it was like an acoustic song oh, okay. broken. And then the label's like, "Oh, you know, the, we should get a, you know, Amy Lee should sing on this track. It's gonna, we're going to put it in Punisher. We should re-record it. It'd be like a heavy, like a you know, like a band version yeah, of yeah. it. And Amy Lee can come in. They can do duet." And so, um, right time, right place, huh? Yeah, I mean, they were going out. They were a couple at the time. Oh, so, okay. you know, him, him singing to her, her singing to him. Oh, that's cute. Uh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, but you know, we we took our time on that, and um, we we didn't track for eight days, but we, you know, we you know, we take a whole day for the vocals, for, you know, for two people to sing on one song, and then we came back in the next day and redid those vocals. You know, like oh that let's that part there let's let's redo that because you had a day to sit back and listen, and even just tracking the you know the tracks the rough tracks you know the bass and drums and rhythm guitars, I think we just did the drums in a day and then all the rhythm guitars and stuff in another day, mm -hmm. and then you know then you got tons of acoustics and extras like there's a ton of instrumentation all on the that. auxiliary shit oh, yeah, it's is all, there a tambourine it's, it's, in there there's not a tambourine but there's a lot of other stuff in that <laughs> track that that your your ear doesn't hear until i always uh, love catching the hidden tambourine and, until mixes. yeah i'm not a big tambourine hidden in the mix there's guy. there's some there's some tracks that do it really well <laughs> but yeah we were yeah we were on that record for a while and then um it was it was like pre Pre put a file up in Dropbox and download it. So that was probably in two thousand four, five, maybe. And um, so you would literally make. We were in LA. We make a CD. We put it in a FedEx envelope. We send it to New York. They listen to it, and then they send. You know, they call us with some mixed notes, and we make some yeah. mixed changes. Put it in, a, make a disc, FedEx it to New York, was, and we were just sitting in the studio, just burning cash that whole time. I was listening to some some podcast and they were somebody made a joke about how um it was probably a lot nicer to live in a time before like email and text messaging just because like even if you were like having an argument with somebody there was like more time to kind of 
diffuse your feelings yeah. on it before like <laughs> caught up being caught up in this instant oh, thing. Totally. And I wonder if like maybe that's you know, it probably affects music to some degree too because it's like, you know, with Greywalker, we're writing songs. We throw them up in Dropbox, and it's like we have our thoughts on them instantly. Change it right away. It's like you're not taking that time to like, oh, well, we're not. Uh, there's no like, oh, I'm gonna burn this on a CD, and then I'll give it to my guitar player next week when I see him at practice or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like he gets it right away, and then you might have some thoughts that change. That you know, you already sent this mix, and then it's like one of those things where it's like, oh. Ignore the mix I just sent you like yesterday because I, I, I thought I've of something already changed and it I again. updated it again. You yeah, know, I've like, already done five revisions yeah, to that. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's, it can be very, very hectic in that way. You know, sometimes you want the process to be slow. Like say you do a mix and you go home and listen to it in your car. You know, you listen to it in the studio. It sounds good. Take You listen to it in your car. You listen to it someplace else. And, and you start to hear things that are different. You're always going to hear different stuff in different systems. And, and you just start making notes like immediately because it sounds different than what you're used to. You're used to hearing it in the recording studio. And then the first time you hear it outside of the recording studio, you're just starting to make notes. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's not right. That's not right. Like, well, maybe, it, maybe, it, maybe it's not wrong. Maybe it's just what you're not used to hearing. Yeah. Live with it for a little bit. And you know, like hear it five, ten times. You know, live with it for a couple of days and then say, okay, yeah, I, now that I've heard it numerous times, uh, I think I, I think that is right. You know, that first thing that I, it was bogging me, it's not bugging me. It's totally fine. But these other two things are, yeah, they are important. Let's yeah, make some changes there. I uh, I think I mentioned that to you when I was talking about mixing the Grey Walker album, how I was like kind of like doing like a day on, day off thing. Just because like, for me personally, that was the best way that I could process everything. Like, you know, make some changes step away from it, listen to it with fresh ears. Fresh ears is really important for that, mixing. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's so easy to get burned out on stuff. It's also so easy to lose the plot. Like, like the frog that's in the boiling pot doesn't know it's boiling. You're in a mix and you start taking it slowly, start taking it in a direction and your ears are acclimating to the new direction you're taking it. And you don't notice, but you, you can, you can take it in such a wrong direction that, that when you hear it the next day, you're like, what the fuck was I thinking? This sounds terrible. Yeah. But last night it was slamming. Like, wh- how did I trick myself? So, yeah, getting some stepping back and listening with fresh ears. I think that it, it can be hard, too, whenever you don't have control over every aspect of the process, which was the one thing I didn't like about the Greywalker album was that we recorded the drums in one place and then we they recorded the guitars and then we did the vocals and then I got everything. So it was, I wasn't there for all of it. And I feel like it's, I felt kind of disconnected because there were some things that I would have done differently had I had control over all of the engineering and the mixing, you know, like kind of setting myself up for success before mixing while recording, you know? Yeah. And I wasn't able to do that. That's a big thing for, especially if you're, if you're going to mix what you're recording, you're making you're making decisions that you're going to want to own later. Yeah. But if you're just tracking stuff and someone else is going to mix this, you're you're just you might have the kitchen soup in there, and uh, and maybe you didn't totally nail that tone quite right, and oh, the mixer will fix it. Sure. You know. 
or maybe you just don't know how to get the tone, you know, especially young guys, you know, young guys in their studios right now, you know, maybe they've got a Avid 11 or they've got a, you know, some UAD plugs that have guitar simulators or a Kemper or something. Yeah, we used a Kemper on the other. I, I love a Kemper. I have one in my studio too. But, you know, if, if maybe you don't even know what a, what a good guitar sounds like coming out of your speakers. You just, you just think, don't know. I think that's the big thing is do you know what an isolated guitar track should sound like coming out of these particular monitors that you're using. Yeah, like don't because you're referencing your one single guitar track to a mastered quad tracked guitar. It's never going to maybe sound even right. eight like, guitars. Yeah, you need to know. Like, yeah. I think it's like finding that. I feel like that was. I think that's something that kind of bit us in the ass a little bit was comparing things without that. Without that vision, like, you know, you're comparing your single isolated guitar track on these, you know, little monitors, Whatever monitors you have, yeah, versus like the master track in your baller ass car stereo that you're used to hearing. It's like, yeah. these are two different things. Totally. And, and, and also too, if, if you can't, if you don't have a good, like, like, you know, like some people have photographic memory. If your ear doesn't have a good memory, what you heard in your car and you get in your room you might not be able to hear the same thing in your room. Like you can't like snapshot in your room, go what that should sound like in this room is this. That's hard to do. It's very hard to do. Um, And have like this like uh, romanticized idea of the tone and what is like the right thing. Like, oh man, like that sounded so, it just doesn't sound like this other stuff. It's like, well, what does that other stuff sound like? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It just sounds like, bigger or thicker and it's like i don't know if we're gonna have this conversation we need to talk more about like you know like what range in the spectrum do you think we need to adjust the eqs or do something yeah and a lot of times when you're stacking when you're doing a heavy record you're likely stacking guitars at least one left or right yeah but likely a couple on either side and so what what four tones are you going to put together? You're not going to put four of the same tone together. I hear guys do that all the time, and make. I just want to shake them because, like, four of the same thing does not make four one big tone. Four different things makes one big tone. Like when I was in Sinistar and we were working with Brendan O'Brien on on a couple tracks, and Brendan O'Brien's like you know super famous producer guy, and like you know we were a heavy band with heavy guitar tones, and. His his heavy guitar tones were a Marshall on one side, a Mesa Boogie on the other side, which you would expect. And then instead of like another, you know, four by 12 heavy, you know, pairs to those, it was like a little Fender Champ and then like a little, two little itty bitty boxy amps. So just to get... Like, and and they added so much. Get the subtle nuances out of them. Probably. Yeah, and so instead of like layering on top of each other, like like something like Bob Marlette would have done on that same record. You know, he we also worked with him on that. He would have stacked like six heavy four by twelve guitars together. But Brendan O'Brien, two heavy guitars, four by twelves, and then two little amps, and it sounded big. You know, it sounded great. It sounded fantastic. So you got to know what what tools to use to get that big sound in you and you can't just do for the same sounds and think that you're going to yeah, get a big guitar like, tone. having resources to those tones, I think that's the one thing that kind of um, bummed me out about the Kemper, even though we got good sounds out of it. Again, it's that rabbit hole shit. 
where it's like once <laughs> you're able to do whatever you want. I have that problem with my camper too. It's like fuck, like nothing sounds right because you know that there's always there's the seven- possibility of something being better. <laughs> yeah, there's a hundred possible heavy amps versus in here. like oh fuck. Well, we got you know these couple amps, these couple cabinets. Like you're we just got to make it work with this. Yeah, with that thing, it's like you know the fucking cure for. Every the cure for the perfect tone lies within this somewhere, somewhere in this labyrinth. It of, right, you yeah. Know? Like you know, and, and then you go out and buy like like I bought a bunch of the rig packs. Like you get you know you know so you can have more amps and stuff. And then all you've done is just escalate. Just, you've just made, <laughs> you've made now, it worse. Well, I had a thousand choices. Now we have five thousand choices. Son of a bitch. Uh-huh. And and where the fuck do I start on those? God damn it. Versus like an amp. I'm like I'm a really big fan of tracking bands with their gear. Like you know, like Grey Rocket comes into my studio. I'd say bring your amps. Let's track your amps because that's your tone. And it's what the thing that's going to make you sound unique from the other other bands that are all using Kempers. It's going to make, and then maybe we'll throw some Kemper in there too. Yeah. But it should be that's the tone that you guys take to to practice. Yeah, that's the gotta, tone, the tone that you take for the live. Next, next time we record, I want to. I want to go back to all live, one hundred percent. I think that it was a fun experiment. I'm glad that we did the record the way we did because mm-hmm. now, like, I know for certain why we shouldn't do it again. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have known that if we wouldn't have done it. No, you never do. Yeah, <laughs> that's the beauty of doing. Uh, yeah, you know, you get better at writing songs by writing more songs. You get better in the studio by going in the studio a bit more. You get better at playing live by playing live more. And um, that's you just. There's only one way to learn, and especially something as complicated as recording. It's you know, it's it's easy to trick yourself. And, you know, and like you're sitting in your bedroom and you make something that sounds pretty cool and you're so psyched about it, but really probably doesn't sound very good. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot, you know, I hear a lot of stuff that comes my way and, and, you know, the guys are super psyched about it, but really doesn't sound all that awesome. And, but, you know, they're married to it because they did it. They're emotionally attached to it. Yeah. And I totally understand that. Um, but. Yeah, that's a tricky game. Yeah. Recording's a tricky game. That's totally. why guys that have been doing it for 30 fucking years, that's why they're fucking really good. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you hire... And that's why I think that it, more people should... Uh, having that... We talk about it. It's so funny. There's so many parts of this <laughs> conversation that are kind of... We'll get to it. Uh, <laughs> the importance of, you know, potentially seeking out a producer or, you know, even at the very least, maybe just finding like somebody, lo- like a local engineer that uh, can work, that has experience recording the type of sounds that you want to recreate and that is willing to offer some input in terms of like what you should be doing to make that a little bit better. I, I totally agree. And I would propose, suggest is probably a better word, uh, all musicians should learn some rudimentary understanding of recording of the process. And, and I say that coming from a guy who didn't like when I was a drummer, uh, you know, I would go in the recording studio and in my mind, like my talent in this equation is to play drums. That guy over there, his talent in this equation is to be an engineer. There's no way I, as a drummer, am going to know more than that guy. Therefore, I'm not going to tell that guy anything. I'm probably not even going to ask him any questions because he's always going to know more than me. Yeah. And that, produ- that producer understands everything more than I'm ever going to understand. I'm just going to play drums. I'm going I'm to focus all my energy on playing drums. And it was a time period, too, when there wasn't you – know, you didn't approach Tools Rig on your laptop. Yeah. You know? So you know, the only time you're going to get any experience is being in a real studio. 
and that it didn't bite me in the ass. But when I decided, hey, I'm going to switch from being a performer, being like a touring band, you know, being a you know band record deal touring, and I'm going to go work in the recording studio. I'm going to be an engineer and a producer. I had to learn it all. You know, like I had a loose understanding, but totally. I had to take. I had to like wait. What happened? You know, like fast. You know, rewind brain to that one conversation, and I had to like call everybody I knew and what are the five things I need to know? I need to know them by tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> what are the five more things I need to know? I need to know them by tomorrow. Yeah. And just like, just, just cram my head as hard and as fast as I could. And, and, and so I would propose, please, 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 please learn a little bit of recording, understand, understand the process so that when a guy puts a mic on your cab and if, and, and it's straight on the cone versus off access, you know, the difference there, like, Oh, that's going to be warmer. That's going to be brighter. And you can tell the guy, hey, maybe you should pick that, put that, you know, change yeah, think, change that mic position. Yeah, I think a lot of that too is just like really making sure that, you know, I compare it to, uh, you know, going to a tattoo artist. Like if you want a portrait, like a really nice detailed portrait tattoo, you're not going to go to somebody that typically does traditional tribal. style tattoos or, <laughs> yeah. like, or tribal tattoos. Yeah. Like it's not the right thing. If you want uh, Asian food, you're not going to go to TGI Friday's. Totally. Right? So yep. if you want to record a metal album, you should really seek out somebody that has recorded albums that sound like yeah. what you're trying to produce. Totally. Even if like you have a really good friend, like maybe you know somebody It's like, oh, but you know, so-and-so will record us for cheap or like, you know, or for free or just like he's a really cool person or she, you know, whatever. They've uh, got a cool studio. It's really awesome. I saw pictures of it. Yeah, but it's like, you know, it's like, okay, like the place is great, but. Has there has there been any heavy metal records or whatever genre that's come out of there? Yeah. No. Maybe not. That's my phone. Oh, okay. I'm vibrating. <laughs> It'll stop vibrating in a moment. Okay. So oh, but so I think that's another thing too that a lot of people, especially coming up when they're younger in the bands, like whether not necessarily age young, but just uh band young. Like mm-hmm. uh you don't you think that just because somebody records music, they like it doesn't matter. No, they don't it's think about, so different. Yeah, but that's it's you know uh, like a guy who a records. Yeah. yeah, a guy who records country songs and is, can make an amazing sounding country record is not going to be the guy who's going to do the next Lamb of God record, and the guy who makes the, the next Meshuggah record is not going to be the guy who's going to do the next Taylor Swift record. Yeah, like the. the Guys have wheelhouses. That's what the, that's the that's the language they understand. Like like my my wheelhouse from recording is is hard rock bands. That's what I understand. I mean, that's what I yeah. did. That's the kind of band I always played in. So I know what that's supposed to feel like. Like like when it comes out of the speakers, I know it's supposed to feel. You no, know, that drummer is not playing good because I will. I because I. I can crush him. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and sure, I haven't sure. played a live gig in 16 years. And dude, <laughs> I can crush you right now. Cool. Dude, you've got to play better. Yeah. And, and, you know, but, you know, but the, if he was playing jazz, uh, I wouldn't know how to make a jazz record sound good. It would sound ridiculous. But, um, yeah, so you got to go to the right guy, the right tool set. Absolutely. Something you said earlier, later <laughs> in the timeline. <laughs> <laughs> It's stuck. It's stuck in my head as a thing I really, really want to touch on, and it's it's a thing that happens when you get in the recording studio, or really, it's a thing that happens when you're in rehearsal studio. Uh, most musicians who haven't recorded a lot play something, play something, and they hear it coming out of the ramp or hearing it on the drums in front of them, and they, in my mind, I've I've referred to this as performance bias. They they hear what's coming out of the ramp, but they don't really 
hear what's coming out of the ramp. They hear the sound coming out of the ramp. And in their mind, they are inventing the perfect version of the tone and the sound sure. and the performance. And it's like, you know, like if you're into Metallica, you've dialed your tone in a little bit close to Metallica and you're playing a riff. And in your head, that sounds like James Hetfield coming out of that amp. But it doesn't sound at all like James Hetfield coming out of it. But you have convinced yourself it does. Or it's even that it's even remotely close. But if you record yourself, coming back to this recording thing, you put an amp, you put a mic on a cab and you play something and you all of a sudden very quickly realize, shit, that is, that's not there at all. And maybe it's not the tone, just your performance. You go, shit, that's not tight. I thought I was playing way tighter than that. Or shit, my guitar's totally yeah. out of tune. I didn't hear it out of tune it's coming like out of the, the amp. The, you, don't have, you don't have the down pick game that Hetfield has. That's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, did, I did records with you know, bands on major labels where sometimes it was like a single guitar player band. And they were, you know, and those kind of guitar players typically play pretty big. Yeah, because they got to fill a lot of space. There's one guitar player. Yeah, you know, and and so they play big, and I don't want to say sloppy, but they play big. They don't play tight and intricate. Like if you got to play with another guy, and you're gonna, you, know, you guys are gonna lock in. You guys, there can't be a lot of extra bullshit going on in your picking or his. But then guys who play big, sometimes they get in the studio and they, like they do a track and then you're going to double it and all of a sudden all you got is a gigantic mess because they've got they, two kind of big sloppy guitar parts. They're not used to playing with another player so they can't play with themselves. Yeah, and they've never, they've never, they maybe they hadn't done a lot of tracking in the studio to realize, oh, I can play like this live and it's so totally great and fine but in the studio I got to, I got to like, just got to like, turn on a different set of, you know, a finger and brain skills and play for the studio. Mm -hmm. And I hear, I see drummers do it and guitar players, you know, that performance bias. And there's really, you play two different ways. A live performance is not, is a performance. And you can't play the same way in the recording studio. You can give it as much energy, but you got to know that like, if you're a drummer and you're beating your hi-hat, like you're beating a dead dog and it's bleeding through everything in the track, that's not, it's going to suck. It's not going to sound good. I, I got to get you to to play with some internal dynamics in the studio. Live, let it rip. Yeah. doesn't matter. In the studio, these mics are not going to have that. You've got to play the same energy and have it be self-mixed for it to really, really translate well. And same with guitar players. You've got to play tight if you're going to play two of you or four of you or eight of you. You can't be all over the place, and you can't have a guitar that's your, where your fingers, your guitar is in tune, ding, 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 on the tuner. You're like, yeah, totally in tune. Play the guitar, bang. It's like that's your hand and your, and your right hand. They're out of tune. You're out of Your fingers are out of tune. So that is – if you track a lot and record a lot at home, back to that, you know, in, in your bedroom, you'll hear that and you'll learn that. And you'll go, oh, shit, that's, that sounds like fucking a turd. And, and you'll get past that. Mm -hmm. So that's my, that's my soapbox. I will now jump off my soapbox and hand <laughs> the mic back to you. <laughs> well, I think now would probably be a good time for me to find a good spot to <laughs> jump the, the early conversation in. <laughs> And then uh, we'll figure that out, and then we're going to come back to kind of just wrapping it up. Fair enough. Which is, you know, I really don't have too much else to say. Hopefully we concluded this conversation. I don't even remember what we were talking about before. Who knows? We were, later. Just, we were just rambling on. Yeah, we were just rambling about stuff. Uh, bands. It's a lot of fun being in, being in a band. Music is great. 
I think it sure is a big part of both of our lives. Playing big concerts is fun. Yeah, uh, um, playing small concerts is fun. I playing think, in front of people is fun. I think the uh, the big takeaway from this conversation would be: uh, don't be afraid to be, you know, self critical. Ask yourself why you're doing things. That's Ch- critical. Challenge yourself to just be a better songwriter. You know, yeah. don't don't sweat so much. Uh, you know, like the the fun stuff, like the the music videos or the. Uh, the, the, the social media and all that stuff, a lot of that stuff kind of falls on deaf ears if you don't have a good core songs to do with everything else. You have the best music video in the world. The song sucks. The song sucks. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah to me, you're writing music. You're, your band is a, mu- is a musical endeavor. You got to write good music, mm-hmm. ultimately. If whatever your version of good music looks like, it's got to be good. And if it's not good, no one's going to care. Your yeah. social media doesn't matter. Yeah, I no think one that- cares. Um, and the, the point that I want to take all this to is you get a lot of people, you know, like, oh, like being in a band so hard right now because like, you know, I don't want to pay for Facebook posts and things like that. A lot of people will blame, they'll put blame on a lot of other things before just, oh, maybe my songs just suck. Like you don't hear people maybe. say that. Yeah. I mean, who wants to say that, right? Yeah. Who does but want to say that? I but think, really, I think instead of blaming Facebook for your band not being successful, how are these songs? If a 14 year old kid in his bedroom can make some silly thing and make it go viral, you know, in a night, but then it's possible. It's possible, but it's because like they made a thing that just connected with people. Yeah. Even like it's not even so much like is your song good or bad. You see them make something that connects it needs to be like there needs to be a story in your product that connects with people connection is the ultimate thing yeah Yeah. you're a a good riff a good hook connects with people like can i mean like it literally connects you it hooks into you Uh whatever that looks like for any given band it's got to connect with people that's the thing that makes people have an emotional attachment to it yeah and then then they love it and they they literally love it i mean think of your favorite songs you 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 love them like you're like if so, like you feel good and you just want to like hug that uh-huh. song, yeah. even if it's the most brutal riff, you're like, "Oh, come to me, baby!" Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, that's that's my my big takeaway from today. Just cool. A- ask yourself what you're doing. Yeah, and 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 if you're a young band, a- ask yourself the question I would ask you is what's what are you trying to accomplish. And and if you want to be you know a big gigantic rock star, well that's cool. Don't don't be afraid of that, and don't be ashamed of that. And if you just want to be a super cool indie you know shoegazer, that's cool too. Just be honest to yourself and make decisions for your music and your career that are going to help get you to that point. But but make an intention. Like I what I am intending to do here is not just waste time. I'm intending to do this thing over there. That's what I'm trying to drive toward. Yeah. And so have an intention and work toward it. And whatever that's not helping get there, don't do it. Don't waste time and energy and write dumb parts that don't matter. That's it. I like it. (laughs) Outro time. And that is all, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Sid, thanks for coming over and chatting about stuff. We could probably, I'm sure we'll probably still talk for a little bit after I turn all this shit off. Uh, I'll be back again next week with another episode. Same time, same place, same channel. You know the drill. My name is Sykes. Start the Beat is the podcast. 2018 is the year. Whoop, whoop. Thanks for listening. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, you got it.